congratulations and welcome back to yet another week of the Blarney Pilgrims. It's just me this week. Uh, unfortunately, Dom is busy this week. And we had an option to sit down with today's guest, Sean Matthews, who is a Drogheda man. Actually, Sean is our first uh, repeat guest. So Sean did an episode with us a year and a half ago when I was in Drogheda for the, the FLA in 2019. Was it 20? Yeah, 2019. And it, that interview was quite personal for me. Myself and Sean kind of went into a lot of really interesting territory around identity and growing up where we grew up. And, you know, the last couple of months in the world has been pretty weird. And I, like everyone else, has gone through some, I don't know, maybe it's just too too, too much time on our hands to think. Anyhow, so like what's been going on is a couple of things. Obviously, this podcast, I've been focusing on Irish culture and Irish music intensely for a year and a half. Uh, I had my parents living with me and spending really good quality time with my parents for, you know, three months. And they're, they're now back in Ireland and Australian government are just talking about there not being any travel within from Australia for holiday reasons to other places. So... I know I'm not going to be able to get to Ireland for quite a time. Like myself and Don were looking to be at the FLA um, in August, just gone. We then went, we thought, you know what, we'll really make the effort and try and get there in 2021. And I read that, that that's not looking likely. So, you know, feeling a bit, uh, a bit lost. And I suppose after 18 years in Australia, probably the most homesick or most intense feelings about Ireland that I've had today. So, to have an opportunity to talk to Sean right at the moment where Sean is releasing new music and particularly his single which was just released only a number of days ago for Welcome to Ballsgrove. It just was a, a perfect timing and as I said Dom unfortunately uh, couldn't be here. I would have loved for him to, to be able to sit in and have a chat and probably, uh, probably slow us down about talking about things that many listeners may not have a clue about what we're speaking about so if that is the case apologies. Uh, we go deep into into the town of Drogheda, the psychology of Drogheda, and I suppose what it was and what it is now. So, Sean, thank you so much for this interview. I got so much from it. Um, before we get into it, I'm just going to do a call out for patrons and thank the patrons that have made this possible. Like the ongoing joke is that you are the patron saints of the podcast, and it's true. You are the reason that we can do this. So, thank you so much for our ongoing. Or to our ongoing patrons and uh, anyone that went across in the last week to have a look and check it out. Thank you for having a look in. Uh, if this is the week that you think you're going to make the jump, please do. It's the usual spot with the link in the show notes and that is patreon.com forward slash Balarney Pilgrims. Um, that's everything, I think. Let's let's get into it. You'll hear enough of my voice anyway. Enjoy. Um, I... Yeah, I don't know if you've heard this song before. It's a pretty popular song, but it's another local song. But it'll be one of the more popular. Be a local hit. <laughs> if there's such thing. If there's such thing. <laughs> sweet Dooley Gate. Sweet Dooley Gate is the place I do adore. Where all young men and maidens, they've dwelt in it before. 
feet, but they're in America. Would break my heart if I had to part with the lad I do adore. He said that he would marry me and we'd leave old Aaron's shore. He named the day in the month of May, he did not hesitate. It's then we'd be leaving old Drogheda and dear old Dooligate. My true love's name I'll not explain, but he's handsome, tall and straight. He is the finest young man that walks round Dooley Gate. He is the finest young man that ever I did see. And despite all of our enemies, I'll keep his company. Now the sun speaks ill of my young man, and the sun speaks ill of me. I don't care what they say, I'll keep his company. I don't care what they say, I'll do the best I can. I'll soon be leaving St. Mary's Mills to marry my young man. Sweet Dooley Gate, sweet Dooley Gate is the place I do adore. Where all young men and maidens they've dwelt in it before. Where all young men and maidens they now lie far away. They are not in old Dooley Gate, but they're in America. Sean Matthews, welcome back to the Blarney Pilgrims. Um, thanks very much, Darren. Delighted to have a chat again. Sean, you've just, like, you've knocked my socks off again. Uh, it's like you've preempted everything I've been feeling and wanting to talk about and just, I had no idea you were going to play that, that, that song. I'd never heard it before either. So um, yeah. I think what a brilliant way to start. Can you tell me a bit more about it? Yeah, um, the song itself. I'd heard. I first heard the song a good uh, about ten about ten years ago, and uh, a few people have worked with the song uh, since um, Michael Hulhan kind of reworked the song for uh, for the album he recorded in Saint Peter's uh, Saint Peter's Church of Ireland in Drogheda, and 
Jerry Cullen would be one of the big preservers of the song. You could say he's he's recorded it on his album, which is called The Blue Cuckoo. Um, right. It's a hard enough album to get hold of, actually. <laughs> I bought it at the Goalien. I was at the Goalien uh, about 18 months ago, and I was looking at all these albums, and I hadn't much cash on me. And my wife was with me, and I said, oh, look at all those brilliant albums. And then when I turned my back, she went and bought me like Jim McFarlane, Ken Wilson's album, and she bought me Jerry Cullen's album, uh, and then uh, they were sitting in the Christmas socking. <laughs> so, uh, so I was delighted with myself because they're hard albums to get. Um, but that song, yeah, "Sweet Duty Gate," was written. They say it was written by Bridget Comiskey uh, in and around the time she she the mills were closing down, sorted down, and um, then around Green Hills and and th- and that area, there was a big there was a big rag trade in Drada kind of in that time mm-hmm. and I think it was starting to wind down and uh, I don't know I've, I've heard a couple of urban legends about the story that she stood up and sang it kind of near enough when they were finishing up but I don't know if that's true now um, wow. it, there's a lovely air to the song and I've heard the air just recently I was listening to a podcast called another podcast called Folk on Foot and mm-hmm. uh, right. Norma Waterson and the Waterson family are on it uh, well it's Eliza Carty really but the uh, Norma Watson, like Martin Carty, they you know they're her parents and um they they, they you know they they call, call down to the house in the podcast and they sing a song called the wealthy square and the air to it is very similar to Dooley Gate and uh, so I was reminded of the song probably a few days ago and then I thought uh, when you got in touch with me I thought it would be a lovely song to start with you know do you, do you know much more about Bridget? No, it's a very curious story. Uh, the other story I heard was that she never sang the song here. She sang it when she lived in Chicago. But uh, someone could correct me on that. You know, there was, a, there was a few stories going around. The first was that she stood up and sang it uh, near enough to the, around the time they were finishing. And the second is that she never sang it here. She actually sang it in Chicago when she lived there. I don't know much more else about it. Um, so, so really, uh, I, I could be wrong on both accounts, but... Uh, I love the story that maybe she never sang it here and she actually sang it when she taught at home, you know? Yeah, it's such a such a lovely story behind it. It's a very haunting melody too. Um and it's uh, the wealthy square is a is, is it delivers it very well. It's all, almost exactly the same, not 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 identical, but it's nice. When you approach learning a new song, what what way do you go about it? Um, an awful lot of people learn songs the unaccompanied songs the structures of them are uh, they're usually they're usually based around the air so for me if you can't if you can't get the feel of the air uh, the whole song doesn't doesn't phonetically kind of work and so sometimes the air it's I um I have this bedding in period with songs so I, I have a playlist that of songs that I've heard that are recorded and over a few months I'll whittle it down to ones I want to learn. So at the moment I probably have seven or eight that I'm chewing at you could say. And my process would be that if I really like the air and it's unusual, I'll I'll uh, I'll start listening to the song subject and then I'll and then I, if I like both and I like how how it's delivered by the singer I'd, I'll keep going forward and forward with the song but then I have a list of songs that I'd, I like both but they just don't suit me <laughs> so there's a process of figuring out 
what what you can sing and also uh, uh, how how to go about it. Everybody's very different. Like my way would be, I would phonetically kind of go through the air. And then once I have the air, I would practice the first verse probably 10 times more than the rest of the verses. Because I, I have that experience of learning songs quite quickly from from years of, of learning songs. But it's always, for me, the the beginning and then sometimes you get these notes in a song that a certain singer delivers. I think of um, I think of actually a, a song I sing called "The Wee Lass and the Bray," and there's a lovely recording of uh, Jim McFarlane singing that song. And he in in it's he has does this verse where it's like a, he says, "And if fate does a decline over yon far off sky, it's after my darling like lightning I'll fly." But the way he says, like, like lightning, I'll fly. It's completely different away from the song, but it's perfect to be put in there. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you get these surges of lovely surges of emotion in songs. And uh, I look for them. I really, I treasure them. And and sometimes it makes a song untouchable, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, and um, I remember Jerry Cullen saying to me once, you can't get them all sometimes you just have to admire the song I like that I like that turn of phrase you know you can't even though you like them you can't you, some of them you just have to admire and, and not learn <laughs> so yeah so 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 the process of of learning a song could be I really like that I really like the air learn the first first and then you say oh no I, I really I just want to listen to that song yeah uh, I, I, I like that how you said like you find out if the, if the song is right for you as well. Like that's it takes takes it takes a while to have that realization that sometimes just a song's not for you. Sometimes, like what what what's it tell for you that it's not working, or it's not going to be a song for you? Well, so, songs that always attract me, like as a singer, just myself, would be songs that go through the range, um, and like so they go up and they go down, but they'd also uh, have little challenges in. Them. They're not just straightforward. Like there's there's a lot of songs that have um, old airs in them, and you could have a hundred songs with the one air. And I've never, although I admire songs that are like that, I I don't, I haven't tackled them. I try, I try, I try to look for a challenge in the song. I try to look for something unusual. I mean, I heard a song about a year and a half ago called Napoleon's Death by Martin Carty and as soon as I heard the air I said that's the most unusual air I've ever heard I have to learn that song <laughs> so I did yeah. learn it uh, it's an English folk song called Napoleon's Death I am um, I actually sat down the other day knowing knowing that we were going to sit down in a few weeks I wasn't I didn't think we we're going to be sitting down so quick and I I've been obsessed with the boys from Dooley Gate since since we caught up well, it's nearly a year and a half ago. It's August last year when we caught up, and um, like uh, I'd uh, over that course of time, I'd Google it a handful of times and never found it anywhere at all online. And then I'm very, I'm a very distractible ca- character. Something else will take my eye on, like a, a magpie. But um, I sat down and I went back to your episode and I I, I wrote out every single word from um, the Boys from Dooley Gate, and I'm trying to learn it as a this is the first time i'm going to try a, a, an unaccompanied um song and it's um it's a very different thing to sit down and start learning just with with your voice 
with no other instrument. It can be it's very. Uh, it can, I'm. I'm really. I wouldn't call myself an authority. What I'd say is, uh, I. I think we mentioned this before. This whole. Uh, I read this book a, a couple, not a year ago, I think, or maybe a bit more because we spoke about it. But is a book called Range by David Epstein and how different approaches to problems can be very fruitful. Um, when I say that, I mean, if I apply that to the musical world, my process alone would be very different to a singer that's come up through the Kyoto's ranks and is competing and stuff, or came up through, you know, f- from a performer's family, you know. What would you say, so, like, for what, what, what are that? Well, like, what would you say are that those kind of market differences? Market differences, one would be, uh, my, say, for example, my style, uh, my breeding is always, my breeding and my, my compression is, isn't very, is, is is as it is. Like, I, I but uh, I'd say if I, I'd say if I sat in front of a committee and I was competing, I'd be butchered. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Uh, I suppose, I won't say there's an etiquette for singing, because um, I don't know enough about the etiquette itself to say that, but I know I've heard singers that compete, and I definitely see it market. There's like a there's a polished, uh, very assured polished way. Like they treat a song like almost like a mountain. You know, I haven't climbed that mountain yet. And there's a list of approved songs. You see, you can't just go in and sing. Right. Okay. You know. There's an unofficial list of approved songs, you could say. And you, so you don't just go in and sing, you know, your own version of something or whatever. You, you, uh, there, is a, there is a bar there. So um, I think one of the restrictions of, of, that whole, of the whole competition thing is, is that it's a bit like going to an English professor in Trinity. Like if there was no James Joyce and James Joyce was writing the way he wrote, and he went into his English professor, you know, as a book. How would it be treated if there was no basis behind James Joyce sort of thing? Do you know where I'm coming from? Yeah, yeah I, I, I feel it's I a suppose, lovely way of putting it. Yeah, like so for me, it's like I don't want to. I don't want to try to be that kind of singer. I just want to. Uh, I I operate on feel, and uh, it, it probably ma- it makes me come across as a as a bit of a, a charlatan or a hack. But for me, it works for me that if I feel something when i hear an air and i and 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 the subject of a song i just go with that because i'm not interested in people who who are interested in sort of uh dissecting the singing side of it or the yeah uh, or 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 preserving it um a single way of singing um i suppose that's that's something that's always in the back of my head when i started learning on accompanied songs you know but um, what keeps me away from those thoughts is the fact that it's, it's the course of the innovator it's like <laughs> here's, a, here's a strange analogy you know um, you know Marcelo Bielsa the, he's I the, don't he's a now Leeds football manager um, right, 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 right. he's the Leeds United football manager who have just been promoted to the Premier League after a 15 year hiatus and he said um People with people with strange ideas. This isn't an exact quote, but do you want me to get the quote down for the sake of this conversation? If yeah, yeah, yeah. No bother. I have the quote here, and it's fucking, it's epic. Um, 
it's going to be hilarious because I know like the likes of Spoo or one of the lads will listen to this and they'll they'll hear you ask me, do you know who this guy is? And I'm going, nah. And there we go. Fucking Daz knows nothing about sport. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> you yeah, know, when you, true. When you do, it's like he's the big name, you know, and it's like if you're not into yeah. it, I'm not really that into it, but I love um, big coaches and the philosophies and stuff. Okay, here's the quote. A man with new ideas is a mad is a madman until his ideas triumph. So there's there's a certain amount of bravery involved when you interpret the song. You yeah. know, you don't you don't want to be staring up at the top shelf all your life. You just do as you see it. Um and that's that's my approach to traditional songs. Um trying to be as respectful as possible, but not trying to stencil my way around the song. So there's a lot of where, how much you can innovate and how much you can interpret. Does that come really then from? A lot of it must come from your um, your peer group. So whatever, like whether it's for you, if it's the singing group in Carbys, whether you're going to Angolian, it kind of does it really depend on who your peers are? I don't I don't know the Angolian people that well. I I've I've admired a lot of them from afar. Some of them come down to Drogheda, all right. I've only been to Angolian a few times, and I've never actually sang at Angolian. Um, although I've I've seen a lot of singers sing in, in those few nights, I think that I think that there is a sense of sorry. What was the question again, Darren? Well, it was more to do with kind of if you're going to innovate and you're going to interpret, right? If you are that way inclined, who you're spending time with is going to have a huge impact, right? So I want to use Carberries for example, and I don't know whether I'm right or wrong here, but if you're going to the singing session at Carberries, it really kind of depends on who is there how much it allows you as an artist to to experiment right because if, if let's say you've got a very traditional crowd who don't like anyone messing outside of the the tradition well you're less likely to to experiment and and take things in a wildly different way whereas conversely if it's if it's too open to interpretation and everything's a, a reinvention well then really you have you stepped too far away from what it was originally supposed to be does that make sense? So I'm kind of drawing lines between if you're going to a, if you're an innovator, you kind of need to be around a bunch of people that accepts and wants to, um, wants to grow that part of of your craft. Oh, does, absolutely. Does that make any sense? Absolutely. You you know the people that are involved in that singing circle are um, very you know they're eclectic. They accept art. Um, uh, but there is boundaries of course but I mean one of the best examples I can give you is like the Dundalk singing circle guys they come down rarely um, I was told they come down like once a year and one year, one evening I was there and, and like Jinx Lennon was with them and uh, I think one of the lads from Mary Wallopus was there as well and they mm-hmm. just came in and started listening and then they started singing and doing their thing and like Jinx sang one of his songs and like everybody was just loving it, and there was no, yeah. there was no like this is a traditional song. So what I'd say is that yeah, there's a, there is an openness, but there's like small small boundaries, and it is joyful uh, to learn off people because they steer you towards people. I mean, like I couldn't get I couldn't get stay hold of the Fisher's Cop by uh, by Jordy Jordy Hanna. I I couldn't get hold of that album. I, I didn't know where that was. And mm-hmm. Dave O'Connor, who goes down there, who's a goalie and regular as well, he gave me the official's cut and he gave me 
a copy of the stone fiddle by paddy tony and like they're treasured items you know in my bedroom at the moment like you know um so what do you what, what what are you doing to scratch the itch at the minute if you can't because i know how much that meant to you going down to the singers club that obviously is not met since the start of covid right sing yeah the singers club i'm meeting on zoom and i've recently changed jobs which kind of bars me from, from going at the moment really i've started uh working night shifts and late evening shifts and I, I do check in an odd time and they will say themselves it's not the same but they have some bloody good sessions still on zoom like you know it's yeah. brilliant to see like i checked in last week for example i was recording the video for my single that's out at the moment welcome to balls Grove. i was recording the single and i was uh, we were Brefney and I who's Brefney Hulahan who produced the single and, and plays on the, on the single uh, we had a couple of beers in my house after the after recording and and we somehow started talking about uh, Chris Wood and uh, when when we when we brought up Chris Wood we, we led ourselves down the path of kind of talking about all sorts of things and then we started talking about um we started talking about Carberries, and I said, hold on, hold on a minute. I said, it's quarter to 11. I said, there's a small chance we might catch a few songs. So I signed on to Zoom, and there was like 15, 16 people there, and the songs were flying, you know? Lovely. And it was, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. It was, and as soon as the song stopped, they were like, oh, Sean, oh, Sean. It's just, <laughs> oh, it was just like uh, riding a bike with them all, you know? Yeah. It was brilliant. <laughs> we just seamlessly just had a chat, and uh, they know... They know that I can't make it as much anymore, so they kind of they always say they always uh, acknowledge me now when I when I sign in on Zoom. There's no anonymous way to sign in on Zoom. You just <laughs> no, you just, you're in. Yeah, you're in. That's that. And but you yeah, just have so, to kind of lean into it, don't you? You just like it is what it is. What, what are you going to do? Not do it? That's the only other option. That's it. Yeah. Like a few times, a few times uh, I signed in and I didn't want to sing because um, I was in the middle maybe of doing something on the laptop for work or it was a little too late to be singing in the house and and uh yeah so i'd i'd be listening you know and they'd almost be like oh well come on like you know sing something it's that's the way that's the way that club is yeah every every singer gets accepted there's no like there's no there's no rudeness in that regard people sing and and it doesn't matter how they sound. It's more about how they feel when they sing and what the song is like and and the story behind the song and the person involved, you know. It's like a community. Yeah. Sean, do you think we could have a, another song? Sure. Um I I haven't got I haven't got one in my head at the moment, Darren. Um No worries. I haven't got we one can, in my head can, at the moment. Um is it so is, is there a, a what, what would you if, if if I was to say to you like your what a one if you if what's a fail safe song that you would do in Carby's if you were down there now if you just went ah shit I've got nothing oh I might as well do this one but I always do this one well there's a song I started learning that I heard on a voice guard recording and I heard Nick Jones singing as well and I started learning it around the time my my twins were born I I um, my wife and I had twins on the 28th of April and Erin uh, and Ava two, two twin girls and congratulations man thank you very much and on the night feeds 
and when they were crying and stuff, I was learning this song called Anne and Waters. And um, I still sing it to them. It's quite a long song, but they go quiet when I sing it, which is lovely. And uh, that's probably the song I would sing. Right, and Can we have that one? Of course. Lovely. It's a little bit long, but... That's all be- right, we've got all the time in the world. It's a beautiful song about impatience. Oh, Anne and Waters, wondrous deep. And my love, Annie's wondrous bony. I loathe that she should dip her feet. Because I love her best of Annie. Go saddle for me the bonny grey mare. Go saddle her first and make her ready. For I must cross that stream tonight. Or never more I'll see my lady. And woe betide you, one in waters. By night you are a gloomy river. And over you I'll build a bridge. That never more true love may sever. And he has ridden o'er field and fen, O'er moor and moss and many's the mire. His spores of steel were sought to bite, Sparks from the mare's hooves flew like fire. The mare flew on o'er moor and moss, and when they reached the Annan waters, she couldn't have ridden a furlong more. Had a thousand whips been laid upon her. And woe betide you, Anne and Waters. By night you are at Lumi River. And over you I'll build a bridge. That never more true love may sever. O boatman, come put off your boat. Put off your boat for gold and money. For I must cross that stream tonight. Or never more I'll see my lady. The sides are steep, the water's deep. From bank to bray the water's pouring. 
And the bonnie grey mare she sweats for fear. She stands to hear the waters roaring. And woe betide you, Annan waters. By night you are a gloomy river, and over you I'll build a bridge that never more true love may sever. And he has tried to swim that stream. And he swam on, both strong and steady. But the river was wide and strength did fail. And never more he'd see his lady. And woe betide the willow and woe betide the bush and briar. For they fell beneath our true love's hand. When strength did fail and limbs did tire. And woe betide you and waters. By night you are a gloomy river. And over you I'll build a bridge that never more true love may sever. It's kind of a curveball for you, Darren, is it? <laughs> Not at all. That's a very different song, probably, to what I produced my original material and everything else and well that's if you don't mind I want to I want to talk to you about the your original stuff so it's very interesting that you'd sing something like that to then because really I wanted to talk about well there's a wealth of stuff to talk about from where what you've been through what you've done since the last time we caught up to what I've gone through personally um, living in Australia, knowing that I can't go to Ireland again for quite a, quite a time, um, you know, knowing that it's coming up to Halloween. I don't know if you listened to last week's uh, episode with um, Ona Canavan at the start of that. I, 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 myself and Dom have a chat about Halloween, and it kind of all started to feel like you know what, it's leading towards Sean <laughs> with everything that that he's doing. So you released your single "Welcome to Ballsgrove." Was it yesterday? Yesterday. John, it is, it's bloody brilliant. I mean, I didn't need to feel any more homesick. So it's not all praise, <laughs> you bastard. <laughs> yeah. But uh, well done, man. Well done. I'm so, so, so what was the, what was the idea behind, behind Welcome to Borsal? Because I love the fact that it's an ode to like what ordinarily just would have been completely 
overlooked, but you've just shone a light on something so beautiful. It's a, it, I wrote the song about a year and a half ago, and a bit like a bit like when I learned those unaccompanied songs. Um, I I, de- I depend on one thing before I start writing a song, and it's uh, generally a chord progression. I I don't like uh, repeatable. A generic kind of chord progressions and if I find something that takes an interest or even a single chord that especially on the 12 string guitar and on dadgad I would I, once I once I find a melody a series of chords that that really connect with me I'm often running down I, I have ideas in my inbox that I, I know it's only maybe 25 seconds but I know I'm going to write a whole song off that eventually it could be right, one when line. When you're saying ideas, are you talking? Are you, are you talking lyrical content, or are you talking music? Both. Right. So sometimes you could, uh, sometimes you could just wake up with an idea in your head. But I, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if it's a, a bias sixth sense or what is it. But you know, when uh, over over years, when I when I come up with a chord progression that I really like in my head, I record it onto my phone. And generally, I keep it there and I let it bed in. And if I really like it, especially if there's a couple of lines to go with, I start working on the song, and then that then everything happens fairly quickly. Um, and one of the things, if you listen to Dreaming Is Alone, and my next album is going to be Welcome to Ballsgrove, most of my most of my songs have two verses and two choruses, and in mm. a way, that's kind of like the Ramones kind of way of doing things or something, you know. <laughs> Or blittery, or what's called sorry, the yeah. Sex Pistols or something like. Um, I don't believe in stretching out a song or making it like commercially viable. Or I, I, I'm not a great believer in that anymore. Um, I went through a phase in my late teens of um, I was writing songs for publishing with, with a real good friend of mine, and we were writing songs for publishing, writing song every couple of days and fleshing out songs and. It was always uh, it was always intro, verse, chorus, uh, intro, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, or double chorus, something like that. You know, yeah, it's like yeah. this formula, and uh, I resented that formula even then. Um, so you could say I've done the same with my ideas. I tried to tell the story in a verse and a, a, or, or a verse and a chorus twice, <laughs> and I know that's it's not every song sounds the same like that because it's broken up with different chords and everything but as a it's a bit like a, a reel you know if it comes around it's coming around twice mm-hmm. like it's just just coming around twice that's kind of the way i i, I do my songs and uh Ballsgrove is a good example of that where there's a there's a, a instrumental interlude and and uh but but one of the things i want to talk about Ballsgrove, um you know um you know that whole thing I was talking to you about Marcelo Bielsa, that madman and his ideas and everything? Oh, yeah, um, from Leeds, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, great, it's funny. great manager. <laughs> it's funny how... It's funny how... Um, I think about artists like... Uh, trailblazers, I would call them. David Keenan being one from Dundalk. Jinx Lennon from Dundalk. There's a bit of a thing going on up there that... I, I have to say is yeah, man. Jinx is, blows me away. I I, I adore Jinx Lennon. So oh. anyway, sorry, go on. That's you know those guys are are uh, 
doing what they want to do and sending the message almost in a not in a punk rock way but who's, the, who's the other fellow did you mention Dave, David Keenan he signed to Ruby Works and yeah. uh, he's uh, he, he's a, a fantastic performer I was lucky enough to see him at Fantastic um, two years ago it's a festival just outside Drogheda and David Keenan um, he's not afraid of talking about Dundalk and uh, I do like I do like when I hear stories like that you know the Tragically Hip uh, their singer God yeah. Downey that I dedicated the last album to like they're not afraid of their local area and I, I love that sense of uh, drawing a song to a place and like but there's a side to this then where you drag Patrick Kavanagh the poet into it because I love Patrick Kavanagh always a lot of his work went from the parochial to the universal I'm extrapolating the differences between the, t- the regional and the parochial mindset and he has this class quote and this quote for me it almost went into the video that's how much it meant to me do you know um, mm-hmm. I, I actually had it in a very early version of the, the video to open the Balls Grove and the quote is to be parochial a man needs the right kind of sensitive courage and the right kind of sensitive humility parochialism is universal it deals with the fundamentals for me that's like a mind blown quote it deals with the fundamentals you know, it's almost like your your identity is like the basis of who you are, and there's an existential side to it almost, uh, where it's that's why it's so important. You know that you, you you come from somewhere, you were born unique, you've a unique name, you've you know, and all those things come into it. So why not do that with songwriting and not talk about you know my baby who loves me. <laughs> But it's that voice, like it's funny how you you, you mentioned um, Jinx Lennon. Like I think there's an episode way back when myself and Don were chatting, and I mentioned you in it, and it was it was because I was I, I was kind of saying like I just really love what you do because like I've my own um, problems with with Drogheda, like what, how, like how I feel about what I achieved when I was living there, and I obviously I moved away and I've been away from a, for a long time, and I was kind of saying like it's I, I get it it's that it's the way like blind boy for example how he unashamedly just is like i'm from limerick and and that's what that's i am who i am and this is this is what i this is what i do and i'm a big fan I, I, i'm a big fan of blind boys and like I'm, and i and i and if i was like a betting man i'd say him coming up with the phrase gas cuntism that's actually gonna be like i think like i put jinx and i put I put blind boy in the same boat of gas cuntism. Do you know? It's absolutely yeah. like it's yeah. it's it's brilliant. You know, it's it's brilliant. Mm-hmm. It's unashamedly it's unashamedly honest and uh, observant and respectful at the same time. And and that's I definitely put those guys in the same in the same uh, train of thought. And they're you know they're big influences on me. I always listen to the blind boy podcast. I think blind boy is um, he's an immensely deep person and he's. And he shares that he shares he shares his world with people constantly, which can be very intense. But because he's being himself, it doesn't actually it, it doesn't actually drain him that much, you know. And mm-hmm. and yeah. coming to that point as an artist, it must be a really nice place to be that you're just being yourself, you know. Do you like when we spoke previous? Both of us had 
spoke about kind of existential crisis we spoke about not fitting in not feeling like we had ownership of the music now for me like i wouldn't have i didn't hear this welcome to boys club before we set up this interview but i i I knew something was coming that was going to be an even deeper showing of of you and what drawda and your what your how you grew up is going to be displayed to everyone else um what i'm trying to think how i should describe bosgrove or 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 drada so so i want to take a step back so in in the writing of uh, welcome to bosgrove and the the songs that will be coming on the album do you feel like you have more ownership of the music than where we were speaking a year and a half ago i do i feel one of the things that's helped me ironically enough is the live streams uh, the live streams have been incredible for me as a performer um an audience is great um you know i love audiences but i don't like jack leads and microphones and mic stands and speakers and sound checks and uh, sound men and all that stuff no 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 disrespect the sound man um is a tough job um but I, I, all of that stuff distracts me immensely, you know. Um, so when I have a live stream and I get to sit down in, in my home with my equipment and, and get to play songs and feel a response digitally, it, it is filling a big hole. But because I've been doing it so much, um, I've actually, as a performer, I've, re- I've started to become really comfortable in my own skin. I've started to really enjoy the process of of um, telling a story before a song and after a song, and I've started to really enjoy um, the preparation side of it and the performance side of it um, to the point where I did actually do a gig um, in the summertime in the Stoke House and Gardens. There was a, a garden party there, and it was around the time things were starting to really ease up, and they ran mm. uh, four weeks in a row of series of concerts outside, uh, kind of and all the seats are all spaced and stuff it was incredible um, it's about 60 people there I'd say maybe uh, and it was absolutely amazing but I've never felt so comfortable walking off stage and I thought god those live streams they've uh, they've really helped me I suppose what that means is it's about kind of oiling the you know greasing the wheels uh, for me like I took a five year break from music and um when coming out of that five year break I, I Dreaming Is Loud was a hard album to, to gig on for me there was an awful lot of preparation involved and I just hadn't got the gigs it's, it's hard to find gigs in Ireland um, right. it's hard to find gigs in Ireland you know it's um, it's catch 22 you kind of need to be big enough to fill a room to, to go travelling around you know that kind of way and uh, yeah. I was just in that situation where I had a debut album um, and I'd f- spent five years completely off the radar, and even before that, I I wasn't probably the best guy when it came to self promotion. So I had all this, I had all this kind of in my head coming up to the album, and I was just happy to be playing a gig. But then it came to the point where I wanted to feel really, really comfortable, and not even wound up about doing the gig. And live streams have just. Oh my God! It's it's I don't a lot of people don't like it. They don't like the fact there's not an audience there. But I'm thrilled. For me, it's like a live rehearsal. 
but it's not really because yeah. you get you're reaching your friends and your fans and and all that and i've built a community there now where i can be guaranteed there's a dozen people watching me i know that doesn't sound like much but i would prefer 30 people who are into what i do than 300 who are kind of passively into what i do or or or, or neither you know they're just like my f- a loose friend or something I suppose that's where my mind goes and the live streams help me to connect with those that small group of people, you know? Yeah. Did um did dreaming is allowed within how was that how was that um accepted within Drogheda and then outside of Drogheda? Like what was the reception like within Drogheda and then around the rest of the country were like where was it picked up more outside or in? I suppose I think you and I are friends on Facebook and we you probably came across that whole post where I was questioning the whole charlatan and hack thing. Um, yeah, 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 I remember that. I think th- in my head though, those might have been the reasons for Dreaming is allowed uh, not getting as much national radio play maybe as it could have. But um, does it, what, do you, what do you mean by that, Sean? I mean by when I say like it's not like I had my... Uh, my shovel stuck into the into the into the folk scene for a long time so people are like who is this guy he's in his 30s obviously and where has he come from who is he like how can he just come in here and and expect to get radio play from us when he hasn't built up the following and we've never seen him anywhere else before there was kind of maybe an element of that maybe there was an element of one of the things people one of the things i'm very open about is the process of actually promoting yourself um and people, people, people don't like this abrasive way that I deal with this, you know. But if I had money, and I bought ads in in certain publications on certain websites, uh, Dreamers Loud would have done a lot better. Um, and there are people mm-hmm. that, but but I know because I didn't have um, that core pe- following and people that it would really just be a self massage exercise. Oh, here's a thousand euro for an ad in a national magazine, but nobody's actually heard your name before they've seen your name. If you know what I mean, you, yeah. you're a marketing darren, so you know the rule of fours and fives, where you have to see something three, four, five times before you actually go, oh, hold on, what's he about? Yeah. Well, for me, you know that's that's one of the reasons why Dream is allowed didn't didn't do so well because they're only seeing the name for the first time uh, coming through in emails, and also I had this really. I had this really tough chat with a, a well-known music manager in uh, in the country. I'm not going to name her. And she basically said, look, apart from the top 10 folk artists in this country who are making a living in the UK and the Europe and, and, and in Ireland, apart from those top 10, you know, you don't get PR agencies ringing radio stations for people. They ring themselves. They sit down and they yeah. get the time to do it. And uh, for me, it was like almost impossible to do that in office hours. Uh, so, you, so there are people who are really they've got their shoulders to the wheel. I can think of a half a dozen names of people who have like into the six figures of followings and making a living from folk, and uh, they're doing all that work themselves, or their, or their sisters helping them, or they're you know they're they're doing basically all the work themselves. And um, so I realised. Uh, coming out with this single i had to give myself a kick up the ass and 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 walk a bit harder and so w- to finish off about dreaming is allowed there was an element of people just not knowing my name and then there was an element of not working hard enough to get ahead and to 
I was treading. I was trying to t- tread on the fine line of not annoying certain DJs on Radio One and not annoying certain uh, uh, magazines and publications. Um, you know, it's a very hard self promotion. Is a so were you like funny were you, beast. You say how, how much of it? Like this is going to be a personal question, but I want to ask anyway. Like how much of it do you think is in your mind, or how much actual pushback were you getting? Or were you anticipating pushback? I think nearly all of it was in my mind. I think most of it's got to do with hard work and a little bit of a hard neck. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I've never been good at cold calling. I can remember one of the first jobs, proper professional jobs I had was as an undergraduate. I was working for Marine Institute and uh, somebody said, hey, you have to pick up the phone there and uh, and ring such and such in, in Dublin about, about uh, a sampling trip. It terrified me <laughs> it terrified me this cold call and I suppose in the back of your head you're like you know you're like you're you're thinking um, what's this person going to think of me how am I going to send and all that etc so when I had when I had people certain people on the phone for dreaming is allowed I only rang about six people that would probably shock anyone yep. who's into that folk there's six people I rang when it came to dreaming is allowed and I probably should have ranked 60. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's a huge, a huge factor. And an awful lot of that's got to do with me kicking myself up the ass and be making, you know, like. But it's like, Sean, like, I know exactly what you're talking about because myself and Dom, like, I hope he doesn't mind me oversharing this part of it. But like, we we're, we are completely the same. Like, we keep on going, who, who, who the fuck are we? Like, what? what myself and him have been putting off writing pr pieces for about 12 12 sorry about six months now i don't know what i'm saying 12 but six months now we've been throwing this back and forth like we should ring this person we should try, maybe we should try and get an interview with this and try and get the podcast to other places but we just i don't know what it is within us but there's no no shortage of uh, excuses to to make for us not to do it <laughs> which is like I'm being honest with you, that's that's where I think it's a very human thing to feel, and I think what you're doing at the minute is not going to be easy. But like I think everyone would agree, it's just part part and parcel, unfortunately, of what you have to do, right? Absolutely. So Sean, I don't know if this is something that's done or not, but like we've been talking about working the ball job, I'd love to get into the meat of what that what that what that song means about Halloween growing up in Drogheda, about music as kids growing up in Drogheda. Is there any chance you could play that for us, or is it is that not something that happens? And I can cut this bit out. No, I can definitely play it. Um, do you want to talk about the song itself, like the lyrics, or do you want me to just play it? Oh, I'll play it if you can. Cool. Yeah, I'll play it now. If that's going to be something you can do, yeah. No worries, man. I wasn't sure if you had the guitar. Yeah, I'll play it now. Hold on. Quick chain up, that's all. Check if we're still recording. <laughs> Just all 12 strings.
Hear me there, I love it, Sean. I hope hope everyone else gets that feeling that I get from it. It's such a it's funny. It's um for me it is a such a what's the word is it a, a, evocative, is that the word? It, it, like I have such vivid imagery in my mind when I hear it. And I don't think it's because I know Ballsgrove. Could could you do us a favour, Sean? What 
for people because li- we've got listeners all around the place how, how, can you describe Ballsgrove what is Ballsgrove Ballsgrove is this place where there's a huge house on top of the grove there was a big house that's the first sign of the song and that house was the Ball family's house and the Ball family were a, a big landlord family who would have been um, British you know British landlords you could say who probably were handed the title at one time or another way back. So they had all these lands that stretched for miles and um, that was how the British generally divided up Ireland after the plantations. So like, um, what's mad, it's like this evolution of Ireland as a, as a country, of Republic of Ireland as a country because the front yard, the big front yard that they had is now a council housing estate. So it was bought in the 1950s off, off the Ball family and then the house was sold to a local businessman as uh, and so the the whole thing with Ballsgrove and what makes Ballsgrove unique is um at that time there was a lot of uh, similar de- developments kind of springing up in Dublin and in, in 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 Limerick and Cork and Galway where it was becoming easier and easier to get home to afford a home and to give you the best analogy possible <laughs> is um the rent man used to go around and draw that, you know. Um, so the, mm. what happened was in the 1960s in Ballsgrove, people would uh, be given these homes. They would prove their work and they would get this small mortgage. But there was there was no extortion of interest rates or anything like that. You just paid the residents. I think it was the residents association procured the, the fund and then the council collected the money. But it got to the stage where, you know, by the 90s, people were paying, still paying 20 euros a month. For, really? for a house you know and so yeah. it gave them all this income so like if kids turned around and were like dad i think i want to go to college they could go and yeah. so when i was growing up one side of me there was uh there was a, a one one secondary school teacher um in the family and the other side of me there was another secondary school teacher in the family um the mcginns and the and the, the calloways right and i suppose if it wasn't so easy for them to pay the bills and they had the size of the mortgages that are there now, you know, they'd be probably hitting their credit cards or whatever. And so would my family. Yeah. My, my family is a little bit different. We bought in the 80s, but there was people who bought way back. And I'm not saying that that's what their rent was, but it wouldn't have been a, a too far away from that. It made, it made a whole community prosper if they wanted to. So that's a really important phrase. When I say one hell of a mix, one palette of colour, you know, there's people who never, who never prospered. There's people who, there's people there who were working class to the bone and they did what they want to do and, and that's that, you know. But next door to them, there's people who's, who've, who've had, you know, two PhDs and a, and a, and a teacher maybe for kids. You know, it's yeah. just this incredible mix that I didn't realize was really important until I went to Canada for the first time about eight, nine years ago. Uh, I realized that like, everything was tiered. Everything was revolved around money. Society, you know, everything was revolved around where you bought and the level you were coming in at. Like, And where, whereas in Ballsgrove, where I grew up, there was this massive blend of people. Like there was people whose parents didn't walk um, next door to people whose parents were, you know, working in maybe Coca-Cola and and one was a nurse or something. Or, you know, you had these people and it's just this golden era and Drata's history, I think, as well. That it, 
there's all that going on. Um, it's no like you, we're not we could do a whole podcast and draw this industrial history, <laughs> but a lot an awful lot of the people in Boswell they worked in the IDA industrial estate. They worked for companies like Coca Cola and Brother and Tarsmans and Bissell, huge companies. You know that are like Bissell and mm. Bissell Tarsmans and Coca Cola alone will be you know they're global brands. Yeah, yeah. And um, but slowly but surely, um, kind of union busting and and uh, expensive labour and unions and all that kind of thing led to a big dwindle of. Where basically there was eight factories up there and there's only one left, and there's a few have come in and to replace them, but they're nowhere near as. Uh, there was golden handcuff jobs there. They're not there anymore. Do you know. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and that, so Sean, what, that is, what I, you can quote about all that, uh, Darren, if you want, but it has a massive say in Ballsgrove because an awful lot of those people worked there, and so they found themselves maybe buying a house early in their twenties, and then by their late thirties they were on serious money, and you know mm-hmm. were, that's why if you go to Ballsgrove now you'll see all these massive extensions at the backs and the fronts and big gardens, all those people like. They didn't, know, they didn't know what to do with the money they had and that was because the state gave them an opportunity to buy a home and didn't rip them off you know and I love that yeah. man I think that the whole seeded idea should be you know extrapolated again used again because it's like I wouldn't have had the, 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 the upbringing I had if it wasn't for uh, I, I can deal with all types of people because of Ballsgrove I can deal with everyone yeah. like all types of people what was the what was the what was the fallout when um, I shouldn't say fallout because that's that's shaping the question. But what what happened to places like Borsgrove when the factories moved away, like when Coke moved away and Bissell moved away? And well, what happened was it was a natural thing, I think, as well. Now I'm being very general here when I say this, but what happened was an awful lot of people got to the age where maybe they might get redundancies and things, um, and some of them took them, and then some of them kept going and. You know, an awful lot of Ballsgrove families, one one person would have worked. That's an important point to make. One, yeah, yeah. One, either a man or a woman worked, generally a man. And you'd see them, you know, with their flask and their sandwiches walking or cycling to work. There wasn't as many cars in the 90s either, like, you know. And so all those people now, they've just grown and they're, they've an awful lot of them would be 20 years into retirement now. Which is incredible. Yeah. We'd we'd be lucky if we get ten ourselves. So does they? Yeah. It's the baby boomer generation. They had this amazing lifestyle, but they passed it on to us in that they could allow us to, they could allow us to have toward level education and allow us to do things. You know, we weren't limited as a, as a, as a kind of a community. So like yeah, so you got you got the mix of all the different estates around there, and like in that song. Like one of my favorite bits actually my there's a few favorite bits but going back to last week's intro when i was talking with dom and i was saying like just halloween was like around like i probably got in most fights around halloween because it was the first time like as a young kid you get to hang around with older kids and then you're going into next door neighbors estate to steal their pallets or steal their toys or whatever and then the other, like that led me to the bit in the song you said <laughs> the the smoke fireworks hash and scrumpy jack like talk about nail on the head it's halloween's funny i feel like i 
romanticize maybe what it was like but then on the other hand i don't know if i did i think it actually was a magic time do you remember like, do you remember that when, do you remember when, that movie darren uh war of the buttons oh, i have never actually seen it my dad keeps telling me to watch it it was a little bit like that <laughs> <laughs> But it was mad, wasn't it? Like, I was trying to explain it to Dom, and I don't think he he really got how mad I, I, I think it was. Like, it was just... It boggled the mind. Like, the weeks leading up to Halloween were, were just... Like, I'll, like, you're a little bit younger than me, not that much. But, like, from, like, six, seven weeks out from, from Halloween, you were out from morning to night, and you were just dragging pallets, lifting tires, like, jumping over people's... Now, garden walls to to nick stuff you're in the farmers taking the tires off the solid you were like you were just up to no good but you're like it was it was like you had joined an army because it was just this brotherhood just formed with your estate like people who you would never talk to all year round you're now in a gang and you're gonna have the biggest bonfire since whatever the legendary bonfire of the year that went before that's the that's the like was it like that in Ballsgrove? Yeah, like I I didn't uh, I was observing an awful lot of the bonfire when I was in Ballsgrove because like um I I was in a kind of a weird demographic kind of a thing where there wasn't many people two years younger than me and there wasn't many people two years older than me. Uh, there was like a handful of people, maybe eight people, and uh, so I ended up I I was on I used to do. I used to be with uh, kind of the far end of Ballsgrove, the hill end. They, they used to have a grove. Yeah. They call it the grove fire. I did that. We did that grove fire for a few years. And one of the things about that whole thing is like anybody who anybody who lives in a in a in a town would relate to, and anybody who's lived in the country would think, "What what are they doing?" I suppose it's got to do with that sense of community, and that's uh, there is a creative sense to it as well. It's where you know, you get young men yeah. and they say, "I think I need, I think I need a tractor tire for the base of that for the base of that fire." And oh, I think we should get, you know, where can we get a really, really long piece of timber for the top? And should we get a little something for the top? Maybe not, a, maybe not a twelfth of July something kind of put something for the top, you know, a teddy or something like you know, <laughs> nothing too symbolic. Put it that way. Yeah, and, yeah. And, uh, it was just something that to rival your neighbours yeah that's it like uh, so there was competition teamwork community and creativeness and uh, it's a lost time kids are getting very distracted now and there's only one fire up in Ballsgrove at Mullen now there used to be seven there used to be one in yeah right there used to be one in uh, one in Highfield one in one on the Grove Road three on the Green one in Mullen, one in Finian's Park I think that's seven and they're all gone. It's the whole thing sanitized. You just have one fire where there's people fifty meters almost away from it, and adults get involved at the last minute. And <laughs> I remember being standing so close to the fire. Pick as a young kid with like a black bag over you, like because you're, you're a witch or something. Like the bag would be melting. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> literally <laughs> falling off you. Or the old. Uh... Had to be someone drawing on you. Have a sparkler and be like painting in your on your bin bag on your back the, the, and the fireworks too like i just does i don't think you can really relate to someone that didn't live it what it was like being around a housing estate when there was illegal fireworks everywhere like it was that was bedlam my dad's as close to like 
I, when I was a kid, I was obsessed playing. I used to love playing. We used to call it war, where you'd go up the field and it'd just be. Uh, and we loved all the Vietnam movies, and that, that's what me and all my mates used to do. Halloween roll around, and you've got bangers, and you can light a banger, start chucking them around, or holding screamers and letting them off at your mates. Like, come on, forget about Christmas. Yeah, that was. I mean, it's very hard even now to explain that to people who 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 weren't. I think I think there's the lust of the forbidden with us as well. Oh, Sean, Jesus, yeah. Because like the because de- going to Jonesboro was like this pilgrimage. You know, you'd get your big thick black bags, you'd have them in your boot, and you you know you'd be stuffing fireworks into the wheel braces and everything, so that if you crossed the border. <laughs> You wouldn't get picked up by customs, you know. And it was so yeah. funny. You get these as well. I remember when you and my father bought a family box, what they're called. It's like, I'm sure they have them in Oz. Uh, these family boxes uh, of fireworks, arrangement of fireworks. And I can remember my dad, like, walking up the front garden with a big black bag under his arm, all sketchy. And we were like, I think you got the fireworks. And, like, a few years later, we were just buying them. And, and then eventually we were getting people who were, who were going up Hey, Darren, do you remember those mopeds people used to get when they were 16? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, there was guys, I think you probably know them, they were driving up in their mopeds, absolutely cramming school bags full of fireworks, you know, when they were 16. Oh, I just, yeah, I yeah. laugh thinking of those guys because, like, they're so enterprising, you know? <laughs> my, I, I used to get my dad to, to bring me up and I'd buy as much as I could and I'd come home and I used to flog them in school. Like, I've, I was a demon for them. <laughs> for me, it was just I couldn't, I couldn't do enough to make Halloween as OTT and as crazy as possible. Like I just, it was my holiday. It was <laughs> I loved it. And then the other side too, like I, I ended up mentioning this last week when I was with Tom too, that we, once you start hitting that older age, your Halloween is definitely a time when you, you're around all the fellas. So the cigarettes, right? So. I think so many people probably have their first drag of a cigarette coming up to Halloween. Definitely hash. When you said Scrumpy Jack, like I nearly fell over. Like I hadn't heard the name Scrumpy Jack in, in ages. But it's just, there's a rite of passage, or well, there was a rite of passage for for younger kids to to start mucking up but start misbehaving yeah. during Halloween. There's a Scrumpy Jack, by the way, to anyone who doesn't know, is a, what's called a flag in a two-litre bottle of, uh, of cider, hard cider. And it was generally the cheapest and easiest thing to buy. And at about 14 years of age, you'd probably get three guys drunk, you know. <laughs> that would be yeah. true. And remember, do you remember coming towards the end of it when it would turn into juice because all the viz had gone out of it? And like, you know, <laughs> someone would get the butt end of the flag and a scrumpy jack. And you're like, what? Your eyes would be watering drinking it. I think the first time I ever got very drunk was on scrumpy jack. There used to be a, there used to be a house up near where you I won't say where it was, but it was up your direction, and uh, we used to go up there and knock on the door and get your bottles of Scrumpy Jack from the the private off license. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's just class! I never heard that one. It was sensational. Oh, really? Yeah. I'll, uh, I, I'll tell. I I don't want to upset anyone, so I won't mention any names. Sure. It was a very famous one house that we, that everyone would know. Is that the one. same house that had the runners hanging from the pole? When pro- yeah, when, probably when produce probably. when produce was available. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, different times. Different times. I I think of uh, bangers hash, a uh, uh, smoke bangers hash and scumby jack. I think of that line. 
but the the line where I say, uh, "Hey, young lad, you want to buy some rockets?" There's a kind of a twisted meaning in that, you know, because it is a time where you you start to ask yourself, "Do I want to smoke cash? Do I want to, you know?" Because drugs were a big part like of my area growing up, you know, and I had a choice, and I had a choice, like you had a choice, and peer pressure comes into it, and I suppose looking back on it now, I definitely made the right choices, but it's at that time in your life where you, you're almost at a crossroads. Oh, I, I inhaled. <laughs> I inhaled. <laughs> I did too, but uh, <laughs> I, I definitely didn't conceal. I was more a pass that over and I'll give it back to you kind of a guy, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I was never one to buy or, or do that and like that, I suppose. And um, But it is, yeah, do you want to buy some rockets? It's more, it's more the whole black market. Pro- because... See that passed me the rockets. I didn't. Is that like a? Is that another name for for hash or something? No, actually, that reminds me of a funny story. I was at a concert. It was my first concert in like ninety nine or two thousand, and uh, there was a guy going around, a big hippie, and he was like the last of it. I'd say the old druggy hippies that would go to concerts, and he was like kites. Anyone for kites? Kites? <laughs> and they were pre roll joints, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's so funny. No, it's not. It's just uh, for me. I don't know why. It's just a kind of a, a line where do you want to buy some anything would come up that, that yeah, time. Yeah, because it, it is that because you do you get this those first confrontations of doing the whether like even for me in view like the first fireworks I would have bought would have been from a house around the back. There was a like someone was a rent rented house and the rumor in the school was you could get bangers at this house and you're kind of like ah oh, and you're you're the one that gets the short straw so you have to go around and like knock on a random door and your heart's pumping through your test uh you're selling fireworks and they just look at you like yeah you're an idiot here <laughs> how many yeah that that's that's that perfectly describes i mean for people who don't live near the border uh it, this is like a snapshot of the madness the the absolute madness like and it, it gets kind of more mad the closer you get to the border where the contraband was mental it was like especially with fireworks but also with alcohol and with, and with um and with diesel and kerosene and all that kind of stuff you know yeah there was a whole world of stuff that you and i wouldn't have had any kind of even like as you said like petrol and kerosene and dv like not dvd players but like vhs and any all electronics and stuff which you know as a teenager you don't really and care as much about but speaking of Jen- jinx lennon you know i love that song he has you'd be right to turn a blind eye and then he's, <laughs> he's got this other one um he's got this other one that kind of touches on that you know um i'll think of it in a, mo- in a minute he's he had he done this album uh where he has a song called nuri board on it but there's another song and it's about the um oh yeah if you give a good turn you get a good turn i love that like that's <laughs> that's just that's border politics right there like if you give a good yeah. turn you get a good turn and you kind of turn a blind eye to things you know <laughs> and yeah fireworks were I think a we could big part of that weren't they it was mad it was mad right? I remember it just like I used to sell them in school and but there'd be lads like letting them off down the corridors and like uh, during um, uh, uh, Little Break or whatever it was called at 11 o'clock like you didn't go to Mary's, did you? I went to St. Mary's when it was a... Uh, no, with the greatest respect, Darren, I went to St. Mary's when it was uh, an actual uh, Western Western European school. <laughs> you went... You went. I went there when it was painted on the walls, <laughs> Welcome to Bosnia. 
and there is a photograph of it on Facebook. I should try and find it and put it with this episode because the the writing's on the wall for it when they had the prefabs at the top of the glen when they were demolishing the uh, one part of the old school. Absolutely shocking. Like there was, I don't know how the they windows kept it going. went windows. The windows went windows. The windows were um, perspex, but were buckled. So like during the winter, it was freezing, and we like us been lads. We used to crumple up newspaper and shove them down the the electric heater so they go on fire so we'd be kicked out of the room for the day and like the stuff that used to go on was mad but the reason i mention that is everyone used to smoke along the side of this the gym and like you'd be just taking your hands and your life gone down for a cigarette because it was just fireworks central but it was just this giddy energy man it was just like it was horrible but it was lovely i don't know why i'm addicted to something like that i i i'd love just to to peek into it one more time just to see was it really that mad I think I think it was I think I think everything gets rose tinted in time, but to remember in a song is nice because there's so many people that feel the way I do about Halloween, and I didn't write it. I mean, for them, I wrote it for myself to kind of remember it fondly, but also to 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 give to to tip my cap to my to where I grew up because it, I felt so strongly about it. You know, I felt so strongly about about Boswell as a social almost experiment like there is you know what in, in Dreaming is Allowed like I've made no I've made no qualms about the whole industrial social side to my music and my songs and there is some there's going to be songs on Welcome to Boswell the album that are touching on that stuff again and like for me Welcome to Bosgrove and highlighting Bosgrove as an area is incredibly important because for me it's something that worked and it's like the, the, all the evidence is there of it but there's also this rural urban rural um, outpost side to it where you're looking at all these green hills at the Boyne Valley and you're looking at all this mm. countryside and you're looking at the river and you know you're a five minute walk from from agricultural land you know from 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 the country is what we would call it yeah. and that whole that whole way of that whole way of uh, life is so unique to a regional town you go to Killarney, you go to Newry, you go to Dundalk. I mean, Newry and Dundalk are brilliant examples of it, where the the the, yep. the, the beautiful mountains overlook the town. The, these rugged, you know, barren mountains kind of uh, have no houses or very few houses on them, and this lovely rough landscape. It's all blended in. And um, I was touching on that at Ballsgrove, you know, and because the commuter song from the previous album was touching on the loss of community and an awful lot of the areas that have have grown and, and well, that's exactly what I, I want to talk to you about that next if if you if you're keen um do you reckon we could have another another song and then i'd love to ask you just a few questions around um the commuter song in particular yeah oh, okay The boom, it was booming, and we kids, they were born. 
chose to draw it out with nothing to lose. You see, the old corporation bought back me small townhouse and the profits of inflation did benefit me. And the M1 had opened to give all the access so that those could drive daily. Kids now have an accent that's closer to Dublin as the extracts and the exiles pile up around us. And as my parents got older, I wanted to be there, but I left it for my sister, for the carer to be. And I jump in the car at six every morning. Have uh, singers ever said to you it's difficult when you when you stop singing and start singing again and stop? Have they ever? Said? No, but I can imagine it's. Uh, it can be because you blow the cobwebs when you start, you know, and then you usually just keep going. So I find sometimes, I find sometimes you have to, you have to really push to to be okay. You know, I was struggling a bit there, but it was grand. I love that song. It sounded great. <clears throat> I but like it as I said, it sounds a bit like I hear it compressed but it sounded bloody great nailed it that song was the reason I bought a 12 string guitar what why what do you mean I had a dad gad tuning on my on the 6 string guitar I have and I was experimenting writing the song at the time <clears throat> and I went up to the local music shop and I seen a 12 string and I thought I wonder what the song would sound like with the 12 string that, that exact guitar part the riff I'd had the song written at the time 
And when I played it on it, I thought, where has this been all my life? This sonic, this sonic room it fills, especially the high G and oh my God. I So I immediately started playing other songs I'd written for the album on it. And I, an hour later in the music shop, the danger was I'd just gotten paid the day before. And, <laughs> and I walked out with the guitar, um, which needless to say, uh, I almost had to hide from the wife. I was going to, the, the years before children. <laughs> yeah. None of that now. No, the, yeah, that's it. Like, you know, none of that now, maybe, yeah. And, um, yeah, so I bought it and, uh, and then, oh, just that, loads more songs came from it. Loads more. Um, I, I'm i in the process of looking for a another 12 string at the moment. And it's a bit like, it's a bit like looking for a... <laughs> I don't know, like a new car or something. I'm very precious about it. I'm trying to find the right one, um, which is difficult and to be the lockdown. worst time to do it. Yeah. You, yeah, you can't just go shopping and picking them up and playing like you normally would. No, no, it's not like uh, Tinder. I can't keep swiping and then <laughs> I have to go and play <laughs> so them. Come here. <laughs> I want to. I want to just kind of contrast the like. As I mentioned at the top, like one of the reasons why I reached out and was really keen to talk to you again is because like I'm having this like wobble. I'm 18 years in Australia. I've never been this homesick, which makes no sense. Like I think next, like I I moved out of Meadowview when I was really I started around when I was 19. I kind of came and came back, but 19 is when I first left and lived in Germany for a bit. So I'm almost coming up to half a life away. And I'm having this kind of like, really strong urge to, to, to be there. And I know a huge part of it is this podcast. I've just spent a year and a half going directly into the eye of the storm. And then COVID on top of it, like over here, the news is saying there probably won't be any international travel for like 18 months to maybe two years. So who, who knows where that's going? So I, I know where I'm at. So then looking at the things that you were putting up and teasing that during the week about um welcome to Ballsgrove. Like that was obviously hitting my strings. Dara Healy during the week stuck up a whole load of photographs as he was walking around. Um Drahada was just snapping photos as he went on the walk and it just it floored me. Like properly floored me. And when I anytime I listen to Dreaming is allowed, like the commuter song for me just stands out. It's such a such a bittersweet piece of art like it's it's an incredible song but it's it it's thorny like it's it's a i'm sure there's a lot of people love the tune but don't enjoy the content because it's so real do, do you know do you know what i'm talking about i'm sure you like you there's no denying it's it's heavy content it is heavy for a lot of people it is a, I, I i very early on it was the first song I brought out from Dreaming Is Loud. I brought it out as a single because I was really nervous about the song. And sorry, I didn't bring it out as a single. I brought it out. I brought it out actually uh, just straight on the social media. I didn't do any promotion. I didn't do any ads. Nothing. I just put it out because I was terrified what the perception would be of it. Because I felt what you felt, you know, when I was listening back to the recording when we were doing the final masters and everything. And I suppose what kept me. I've had messages about that song from people all over Ireland. I've had at least four messages I can think of 
from people who said, man, you hit my life on the head there. Guy from Mullingar got in touch uh-huh. with me recently and I, you know, it really hit the spot for me. I was like, I wrote that for you, man. I didn't say that. Yeah. But I did. I wrote it for people like him, you know. Like where their life is consumed by travel. I was one of those people. Uh-huh. I, I used to drive an hour and a half into work and an hour and a half home. And I was going the opposite way, you know. I, I'm, I'm draw that, but I've, you know, driven to... You were going up to Dublin. I was driving to Dublin every day for and uh, during rush hour, like the heaviest times. So potentially 15 hours a week traveling. And uh, so I'm not just writing it from a place where it's like, oh, these people coming down. I'm writing it from a place of, I know what that life is like. And I was lucky that I was coming to and from home. Yeah, well, that's like the part. Like, what the end of where I was going was like when I was nineteen. For the years before that, and the years I was in college and stuff, I was going up and down. I was going from Drogheda to Dublin because I couldn't afford a bed set in Dublin back in those days. So the the option was just stay at home. Like that was it. Like I had to, I had to do the same. I wasn't driving, but I was on the on the train, and then the Enterprise came along, and that kind of quickened things up a little bit. But it was still. Like that was the reality of what was happening. So I, I had left the country before it got as bad that people from Dublin were actually moving to to Drogheda well, as a satellite town. Well, here's a here's a brilliant uh, story. I I was listening to um, that po- podcast I made reference to Eliza Carty, and I was listening to Chris mm-hmm. Chris Wood on it, and Chris Wood lives in a place called Faversham in England, and it's very very similar issues there you know very similar issues and i was kind of musing to myself thinking god i'm feeling almost the exact same feelings that he's feeling about people coming in like you know um people coming in and kind of um changing the dynamics of a community you know um and i mean i I don't know chris i've never met chris but i just sensed that when i was here and listening to him talking about it and and even when i was in kingston in ontario i had the same thing where um, people were retiring out of the city to to those places, um, and and here people are living uh, out of these places. They're existing, they're not thriving, and um, and I often wonder, and that's what I say in the song. Like I wonder if they had one less bedroom and a nice house, small house, would they be happier? But see, life mm. is funny, you know. People people place awful value on a big house and a big car. And, and I think time is the is the real jewel, really. Yeah, it's that, that like it hits home. I'm a, I'm in the process of again looking at what the market is like to try and find somewhere to live. Like I'm, I'm forty. I've got twins. Like I'm, we still rent where we're all renting. Like I still don't own a, a property in it. It's depressing because that's the we're still in that loop of well you know the older you get the the more you feel you deserve you need that doesn't make sense does that make sense like you think you deserve more or you feel like as you're you're older you've achieved more but things just keep on getting more and more expensive and yeah maslow's hierarchy isn't it yeah but then i think there's like there's lifestyle creep there's there's lots of reasons that you you aspire to have more bigger houses when really, as you say, like possibly, yeah, the slowing everything down. Like, what happened with me three years ago? I, uh, I, like, I was, I was, I was, I was a mess. Like, I was, I was doing professionally. I was doing really, really well. 
but I, I just I hated work I was drinking constantly and I I pretty much at that time thought I was just closing down on my career and I moved down to where I live now in Bowen Heads and uh, that was a big shift down like that was like a moving out of Melbourne what like quote-unquote success would looks like to move to the country to just kind of find out what I could do again and the one thing that I got was time and I I know just how valuable that is now and I won't trade that anymore because of like I, 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 I luckily and unluckily I know both sides of the coin if you're given everything and you have no time and you're commuting and you're putting in a hard like you're working yourself to the bone just to survive time like you can't buy time absolutely you can't buy it back anyway you can't I mean I remember working one of the first jobs I had was I worked in the Guinness factory the iconic St James's Gate I worked there as a microbiologist and I remember speaking to one of the brewers. He was an old guy, very close to retiring age. And I said, what happens here on Christmas Day? And he was like, oh, you know, you get you get serious money here on Christmas Day. You get a little bonus and so on and so on for working. And I said, oh, whoa. I said, just that sounds good. He says, yeah, it sounds good when you're young. He says, but when you're older and you have kids, you realise you'll never get that time back. It's not work money. Uh-huh. And I'll never forget that, you know. That really stuck with me. With with the commuter song, did you? Was there ever any? Because I, I would imagine with a song that that's that's as honest as that is, you're going to get some negative pushback. Did you ever get any kind of people who it was too too real for, or or no? Yeah, I did anonymously uh, when I. I got some. I got some negative feedback. Um, there's people who are caught. There's people who. There's people who are in negative equity still from the last boom who are extremely bitter about living where they live because they it's all gone mm-hmm. sour for them. Their kids, their kids are older now and they just want to get out, but they can't because their kids are friends here now. And but they're just a very detached class of person. Like, and you know, with that comes just this underlying anger. So it, it, the funny thing about it is they're so proud they wouldn't tell you that they're angry, and it's that pride that yeah. actually got them down here and to get a bigger house in the first place because they didn't want to buy a small house where they were or they couldn't buy where they were and they didn't want to rent there was just this i, I think i think every, everyone has their own story but the the overline the overarching the overarching story of the commuter is they want something and they're willing to pay the price for it and then slowly over time the price just is too dear hmm and and so yeah how would I go Sean how would I go if I if I moved back to Jordan I'm not planning to but how would I go well you're a you're you're in the community you're 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 a you'd have you'd hit the ground running a bit easier because I mean you'd have no obstacles in your way when it comes to connecting to the community again like um so and then it depends what actually don't think any of my like just is there, I'm trying to think. There's not many of my mates that I would have grown up with that are still in Drogheda. Yeah, what I like about you, Darren, is that you don't you don't seem to attach any cynicism to your hometown. There's always that. There's always I used to show. There's a process because there is a process because I can remember close family members going through the same process. I think. Correct me. There is a process where you have to load your hometown in order to get yourself to settle down in your new place. 
and then slowly over time you realize there is nowhere kind of like home and that's not flaunting the whole concept of of uh of of the returning immigrant or and it's just the it just seems to be that thing where the you have to loathe you have to loathe the place in order to feel better about being there and and not returning and and everyone has their own reasons for going attached to that but there is i think yeah i think it's a process and it comes full circle generally i have a i'm very close to a family member who's 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 lived in the uk on and off for 35 years and they go through similar emotions regularly for, for me like I, I think a major part was I and I, all of this may well have been in my head and you know what if it was in my head it's still fucking real because it's they're my thoughts right <laughs> <laughs> so for me I, I kind of felt like with Drada I I couldn't I just didn't fit I felt like I didn't fit and I couldn't be the person I wanted to be now the, the the kind of crappy part of that is I had no idea who I wanted to be I just knew I didn't fit so I knew what I didn't want to be I didn't know what I wanted to be and it took a long time of kind of just finding myself and once I found myself and I think now even since the last time I spoke to you now that I understand who I am a bit more it allows me just to have a voice right and I think that's what I was missing I was missing an, a, an identity and I think in a town like Drogheda like it there can be a lot it's and it's not just Drogheda anywhere there's a big town there can be a lot of strong voices and a lot of opinions and when I was younger I would have cared what they what those loud voices said and what those opinions were now I couldn't give a toss well it's which is it's Patrick Kavanagh again it's Patrick Kavanagh again I, I promise you know I don't mean to say Kavanagh as some like visionary or anything but there's that whole parochial and regional mindset like I I lived in Connemara and West Connemara for a while I remember speaking about that on the last podcast and I went back to visit the family that had uh, had hosted me in the in the in the house that that was next to their farm and house and you know they said to me you know what did you really think about living here and I said there are people living in the liberties with the same parochial mindset as the people in the pub that turn around and say what's that asshole from Dublin coming into the pub for there's people in the liberties like that there's people in Mayfield and Cork like that, you know. There's people in Knocknacara and Galway like that, you know. And like, well, the reason why I'm coming from that place is it's just that it's a mindset thing. So when you when you when you look at Drogheda at a certain stage in your life, it just depends where where your head is at. Like, and sometimes it's the healthy thing to move away. Um, but there's definitely no there's definitely no comparison of people i think people are all the same they're able to have that parochial mindset or they have that regional mindset or or they they respect both and they just get on with things and i think i think that's where, where's the kavanagh quote from the Ka- kavanagh so sorry sean fin- you can finish that thought you're going to say you think that's from um i just stumbled across it like it's somewhere there i think even if you google it you might even find it i was in a friend's house um in dundalk and he's a he's a very well known musician in Dundalk in, in the kind of Oriel area. And he when I played him Welcome to Ballsgrove at the time, he mentioned Kavanagh. And, you know, I just said to myself, I had to dive back into Kavanagh. Because he was quoting Kavanagh directly, you know, and it was like almost intimidating and amazing at the same time. And uh, yeah. I was like, Oh man, I have to get back into his work and when I did, um he had this poem called My Father. And 
that poem that poem screams screams the sentiment I'm talking about now. yeah yeah and if you could uh, you know if, if you wanted I could read the poem out just for the just for the sake of, yeah please if you got it yeah sure there'll be a gap here but I find it yeah right it's it's called it's funny last week Dom just sent me a um, a link to Derry Farrell doing um, if you ever go to Dublin town oh yeah it's a and I think exactly what you're talking about comes through in that as well the full title is Memory of My Father by Patrick Cavanaugh every old man I see reminds me of my father when he had fallen in love with death one time when sheaves were gathered that man I saw in Gardner Street stumble on the curb was one he stared at me half-eyed and might have been his son and I remember the musician faltering over his fiddle in Bayswater, London. He too set me the riddle. Every old man I see in October coloured weather seems to say to me, I was once your father. I like that. I like how that relates two yeah. places to one feeling and and that's how the world can be when you're when you're abroad, living abroad and and you look at a place it is you see everything in everyone so mm-hmm. really all you have is the moment isn't it it's yeah it's definitely the moment is something i've been going back to a lot recently without getting too philosophical but yeah I, I, that 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 hits home actually i remember that from um i remember actually doing doing that in school as you say like you, everyone does a bit of cabinet in school that's actually one of the ones we did and i loved it so I think I, I need to read more Kavanaugh, I think, and revisit that. I know Dom's always asking me to. So my friend at Dundalki, yeah, he gave me that little shove towards that. And I have to say, it put the wind in my sails when it came to the Ballsgrove project because I was very nervous about putting out a song that was so parochial, so parochial in its nature. I was nervous because I felt, I felt like it would be ridiculed and I don't know why I felt that. Because, I mean, the last twenty four hours, like the the messages I've been getting, it's unbelievable. Like I, I've never experienced anything like it. It's ten thousand views, like amazing. Yeah, it, it there's something very special happening there, man. So thank you for sharing that with everyone, because like it's it is something very special. And I think anyone that has grown up or come through Drada or any kind of big town is going to listen to that and say that's me which is a it's a rare thing because i think a lot of us what i want to say and i know it's not the right way but it's like we don't deserve a song about us or like how like because it's a love song in its to me so what i'm hearing is that it's a, it's an ode to a place and a time and a feeling and it's just not the way we normally engage with housing estates that were built in the 50s like it's just not but that's not the way we we think about those kind of places hey is is it true i'm just actually remember something about Bosgrove. is it true that the balds family turned their house to face away from drahada i'm not sure it's, it's a, did you hear that story it's a big old georgian house and possibly 
possibly true. They were, but they were Lord Mayors of Dublin. There was, I think, three Lord Mayors of Dublin in the family th- throughout the ages. So um, they could have been the earliest version of the commuter song, the earliest commuters. <laughs> <laughs> so what I had heard about the, that, and I'm going to tell it because my dad's going to be on the phone going, that's not right at all. So they, I, I just love this story if it's true that there was the house was, used to look over Drogheda, the front of the house, and then I think one of the daughters married a man from Drogheda, like a common fat man from Drogheda, and the Ball family were so disgusted that they bricked up that side of the house and faced the house to face out towards Ballsgrove, the way it faces now. That's an incredible. You ever heard that? That's an incredible story, man. I've never heard that story, and I'm just I'm, I'm picturing that whole process. Uh, talk about an expensive gesture to make. <laughs> I wonder how true it is. I, I and I know I know my dad listens to this, so he's gonna go, "Oh, Darren, it's wrong," because he probably knows the team I got it from. But I'm sure there's a story there about the 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 house used to face a different direction and they turned it around. It's very possible. It's very possible. The original commuter song. I love that, Sean. Hey, John, thank you so much for, like, this has been a, a long old chat. I really, really appreciate it. Um, and congratulations and well done on Welcome to Balls Grove and the best of luck with the um, with the album when it comes out. W- where's the best place for people to buy the single? On Bandcamp. It's on Bandcamp at the moment. And I, I've been saying to people, look, it's for the price of a pint. It's four euro for the single. And um, at the moment, it's the only means of uh, supporting us at the moment um so if you could if you could get it that'd be amazing because it it helps it helps me get the next uh, single and the next album and the next piece of work out there to you just that little bit quicker because obviously things cost and so your support actually makes me produce more you know perfect well i'll get make sure i get the correct links for all that and put it in the show notes along with uh links to your facebook and your instagram and all that kind of jazz as well no um do you fancy going out on one i'm gonna play a song i've only played once on a live stream it's not out yet and it's on a so can i do an introduction i'd love it love it i'm gonna do a song now darren that's uh it's on an instrument called an m4 and I got this M4 as a wedding present. <laughs> and I've since uh, restrung it and retuned it. It's a seagull M4, it's called. It is a lap dulcimer, but it's in the shape of a guitar. A lap dulcimer is like an Appalachian um, instrument, you know? And um, Johnny Mitchell on KCU would be one of the most famous examples of a lap dulcimer. And this is a, a dulcimer. So if it's tuned in D sharp and I've got different gauge strings on it and stuff, I've been fooling around with it for the past year since I've been since since I've gotten the present so um, this is a song I wrote I started writing this song when I was leaving Kingston uh, Gardani's hometown and um, sorry uh, yeah I was leaving Kingston to go to Port Hope a place called Port Hope and um, it was right in the middle of Ontario and I just it was just this incredibly happy time and I thought sometimes you think Whoa, the only way is down here, man. <laughs> Jesus. And, and and I know that sounds strange, but you know that kind of uh, Irish depreciating, I don't let yourself have too good of a time thing. 
I think yeah, yeah. I think that's what inspired the first half of this song, and then coming home and and experience the other extremes of life uh, definitely um, inspired the second half. It's called Turns and Tolls.
so you may you may be picking up that my voice in the intro and the outro is a lot hoarser than it normally is and that's because myself and sean ended up staying on the on the phone for a while after our conversation and you know it was it was nearly midnight here by the time i left him and sean like i've only i've only really spoke with you sean or anyone like you listeners have listened to my conversations with sean pretty much that's the the most we've really spoke to each other is enjoying these podcasts and he is such a insightful fella that it just he has a way of hitting me in a in a certain way so there was no chance i was sleeping anytime uh <laughs> anytime soon after i actually went to bed last night it was like two or three in the morning and this is the the following morning i'm trying to get this out the door for in time for halloween just to kind of contextualize it all so sean thank you so so much for your time all the best with the single and look forward to hearing all the music when it comes out down the road um again thank you to our patrons you are the reason that this can happen every single week so uh if you think again after listening to that maybe maybe it was a little bit too much down in the weeds about drahada but i don't think so i think that's exactly the reason why these podcasts should exist so that's patreon.com forward slash balarney pilgrims um outside of that i hear the intro or outro music coming up in the background we will catch you next week and i'll have my main man dom back in the driver's seat so it'll be a little bit more polished maybe (laughs) all right go on good luck bye bye now hi my name is rosa please become a subscriber to the podcast thank you